indebted to you. And we've come to worship you today because of who you are. We've come to say thank you. We've come to humbly submit ourselves in your holy presence and call on the holy, righteous, magnificent name of Jesus because you are so worthy to be praised. Help us now to worship you in spirit and in truth. Speak to our hearts and our minds that we may rejoice at this hour and the next hour continue to rejoice to the point where people will know that we have been in the presence of God. We'll continue to give your name the glory and the honor and the praise. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Thomas for sharing your gift ministry and brother Wren and sister Small thank you so much uh, for what you do and what you have done in worship today our ushers again you look fantastic thank you for giving yourselves in service to the Lord to our technology team thank you so much as well our deacons thank you our associate pastors and all of you my brothers and sisters in Christ it is good to be here yes, sir. amen I'm excited about it so I want you, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, uh, your electronic Bibles, um, to Acts chapter 9. If you don't have the traditional Bible, electronic Bibles are welcome in this place, iPhone, iPad, whatever you have. Acts chapter 9, and I want you to just read uh, a few of the verses that Pastor Joe read from chapter 9, beginning with verse 10. Reading from the New King James Version, follow along with me, please. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. I want to preach the second sermon today in a series of sermons uh, talking about Saul, a man of destiny and devotion. This series is entitled Saul, a man of destiny and devotion. Now. Uh, those of you who were here on last Sunday, remember that we left our friend Saul uh, with a made-up mind to follow Jesus. He had been on the Damascus Road. He was heading to Damascus to track down Christians, to persecute Christians and bring them back. And he was confronted by Jesus on Damascus Road. He fell from his beast. Um, there, he heard a voice from heaven. There was a great light. He fell. He heard a voice from heaven. And he made up his mind to follow Jesus. He surrendered his life to Jesus and became one of his disciples. He said on that Damascus road, that, that's it. In other words, he, he just literally, figuratively, uh, perhaps literally threw up his hands and said, I surrender. Yeah. Like the hymn writer said, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and serve him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. 
I surrender all. That was Saul that day. Has anybody been here? You got to a point in your life, place in your life, you threw up your hands and you said, God, that's it. I'm tired of trying to do life my way. I'm tired of running. I surrender all. Take me. Some of us had to say, I might not be much. Ain't, ain't a whole lot to me. But, but take me. I'm, I'm yours. Do with me whatever you want to do. That was Saul's life. In verse 6, it's a declaration of Saul's changed heart and his renewed mind. For the text reads, so he, meaning Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Now, knowing that Saul's declaration of faith in Jesus uh, was authentic, Jesus responded to him in like fashion. Jesus said, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. Now, had Saul's quest to follow Jesus been phony, had his testimony been fraudulent, has, had his 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 willingness to say, I'll follow you, had it been fake, Jesus would not have given him specific marching orders telling him to go into the city and you will be told what to do. If it was fake, if it was phony, if it was fraudulent, if it was a put on, Jesus never would have said, go into the city. But since Saul was real with Jesus, Jesus said, okay, now this is what you need to do. This is what you have to do. Now, according to verses 7 and 9, those who journeyed with Saul, that, that, they, that would be his entourage. That would be, as, as our younger people uh, would say, that would be his posse, or that would be his crew. That, was his, that would be his crew. Those were his boys. They were, they were traveling with him. You know, I heard a preacher say one time, say, Pastor had 75 members in the church, but he had more security than the president. <laughs> hey, boy, who wants you? Nobody don't want you. <laughs> Just go on, do what the Lord say, do. You're going to be all right. Nobody don't want you. You ain't all of that. Come on now. <laughs> I know I'm right about it. Folks like to feel important, you know. I like to feel. I feel good. I be walking sometimes. You know, bro, Wiley, big man be on one side. Deacon Bell be on, on the other side. I mean, that make a preacher feel good. It be like, man, you know. <laughs> No, nobody wants you, man. <laughs> but they were literally in shock because they heard the voice of Jesus. They heard the voice, but they couldn't see him. And, and now listen, and adding to the drama of that day, that was a dramatic day. Adding to the drama of the day was the fact that when Saul arose from the ground, when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see. Now imagine you waking up, waking up this morning, open your eyes to total blackness. Or you close your eyes momentarily and then open your eyes and there's a blank screen there. There's nothing. That, that's shocking, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, that just behooves us. That just reminds us we ought to thank God for just, you know, everything, stuff we take for granted. You know, I can open my eyes, you know, or, or, or I got a reasonable portion of health and strength. But when Saul rose from the ground, his eyes were open, but the Bible says he could not see. So it was, they led him, meaning his posse, they led him by the hand into Damascus, where for three days the Bible said he could not see, nor did he eat nor 
what did he drink? Verse, so says verse 8. Now imagine if you will, Saul has come to Christ, and now he's facing a crisis. Can anybody identify with that? You know, you know, you come to Christ, and all of a sudden you're facing a crisis. That's the way, that's the way Saul was. He had said yes to Jesus, and, and there right smack dab in the middle of his full-fledged commitment to Jesus Christ, he loses the precious gift of his eyesight. And he refuses to eat. Now, some believers and some Bible students uh, believe that Saul refused to eat for three days because he was depressed over his condition. I mean, that is enough to depress you, isn't it? I mean, that some people feel like he was depressed. Others believe he refused to eat because he was praying. And that's true because verse 11 did say he was praying. Uh, but some feel he was praying and fasting before God. We don't know for sure why he refused to eat. Maybe he was depressed. And maybe he was fasting. Maybe he was praying. Maybe it was a combination of things. We don't know for sure. But here's something we certainly know. We know this certainly. We know as Paul, his name was changed to Paul later, would write in Romans 8.20, we know this, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who have been called according to his purpose. You see, Saul as it was loved God. And he had just been called, just answered the call to God's purpose. It was a purpose rooted and grounded in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Saul's purpose was to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. Saul's purpose was to preach the gospel to, of Jesus Christ. Saul's purpose was to tell everybody who would listen, and even those who refused to listen, that, listen, Jesus suffered and bled and died on Calvary's cross to save you from your sins. Whatever those sins are, Christ paid the price. He shed his blood for you. That was his purpose. That, that not only did he die, but they, but they buried him. And on the third day morning, he got up from the grave with all power in his hand. That was Saul's purpose. In fact, later on, he would go on to say that for me to live is Christ. Help me somebody. That's my purpose. This other stuff I do, it has its place. But my purpose is to live for Christ. And listen, to die is gain. That's what he said. My purpose is to, to live for Christ. And he, he preached that. And Saul's purpose was to proclaim that life, death, burial, resurrection from the dead of Jesus as an atonement, as a ransom, as a payment for the sins of all humanity. That was his purpose. And in that purpose, he glorified God. Now, such being the case, as desperate as Saul's situation was, God, as Romans 8.28 points out, God was working things out for his glory and the good of his people. Don't miss that in the text. As bad 
as things were in Saul's life, God was working it out. All right, let me put it this way. No matter how messed up it was, God was working it. Saul couldn't see, but God was working it. Saul was in a desperate situation. He was despondent, some believe. He was depressed, some believe. But, but that's all right because God was working it. And so that's one of the lessons of the text. No matter how, how bad things were, God was working things out for his glory and the good of his people. This episode in the life of Saul serves notice to all of us who by faith have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior that no matter what we face along life's journey, God is always working it. If you love Jesus, if you in his will, God is working. Listen, God is always working in and through and around us for his glory and for the good of his people. Now, now here's something, here's something very interesting. We may not always understand what God is up to. How many of you always understand what God, what God is up to? Stuff is messed up, and sometimes stuff is haywire, and sometimes things are confusing, and sometimes the more you try to put things together, the, the more they, they come apart. You know, the more you try to wrap that package, the more it unravels. You don't really understand what God is up to. Listen, it may not always be comfortable and pleasing in our sight. You know, the stuff that God is up to, it ain't always going to be comfortable. It ain't going to always be pleasing. See, this ain't Hollywood. Life is not a script like the Cosby show. Shoot, I mean, if you can write your own script, you know, every Thursday you can write what's going to happen, how it's going to, you know, that's not life. It's not always comfortable, and it's not always pleasing in our sight. But here is what the text teaches us. The text teaches us that we can rest assured that God is in the midst. And he is working to bring about, get this now, his desired results. And his desired results is not always our desired results. So, hold on. Keep your seats. Back in South Carolina, the older people used to say, boy, just keep your shirt on. Just, just keep your shirt on. Just go somewhere, sit down, settle down, keep your shirt on. Hold on. Keep your seats. Stay tuned. Stay prayerful. Remain faithful. Keep your hand in God's, what? Unchanging hand and watch God do what he does. Watch God do what he does in your home. Watch God do what he does at your workplace. Is anybody you just watch God do what he does? Folk are scheming and manipulating and playing games and, and jocking and pushing and shoving and stick, stepping on people, stepping over people, and you just step back. You say, God, I'm just going to step back and watch you do. You ought to try that. So just watch God do what he does. 
hold on. You just keep your hand in God's hand. Watch God do what he does in your community. Watch God do what he does in our state. Watch God do what he does in our world. And know the scripture vividly reveals that sometimes God works behind the scenes. And sometimes he maneuvers under the radar. Get this now. He maneuvers under the radar of our intellect and even our consciousness. I want you to think about that a little bit. That sometimes God maneuvers under the radar of our intellect because we want, you know, we are smart or we want to be smart. We want to get our intellectual minds around everything. But sometimes God is working under the radar of our intellect and even our accomplishments. Okay, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. We cannot always mentally map out God's strategies for how he's going to help us or deliver us. And you know, it's so interesting because Israel always did. They, they were always trying to map out strategy, you know. And they were in captivity down in Babylon. And they were trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to get out of this? How are we going to try to map out this strategy? We're going to try to work this thing. And so they were down there trying to appease the king. But what God was doing behind the scene, he was raising up the Persians. And they went in and defeated the Babylonians, and, and the king Cyrus said, okay, y'all can go home. Here they are trying to, trying to map it out. God has already worked it out. That, that's what it means. That's what it means. Sometimes God is, 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 is working behind the scenes, and, and, and we, can't, we can't always mentally map out what God is doing uh, to help us and to deliver us from trouble or from harm's way or from evil. Nor are we always consciously aware of how God is tearing down walls, building bridges, making rough places smooth, leveling the playing field, opening doors, closing doors, and making a host of moves and changes and adjustments in order to get us where we need to be, God is doing all that kind of stuff. And many times we're not even conscious of what God is doing. You know, God is setting that thing up, you know, outside of your conscious. You know, he's setting you up for that promotion. He, he's setting you up, you know, for that blessing. He's setting you up for that special somebody. And, and, and it's not even in your consciousness. He's working it out. Now, God has a way of setting his people in the right positions at the right time and under the right circumstances to do the things that he wants done. That's God's strategy. And sometimes he does that outside of our intellect and even our consciousness. Now, now, he works his strategy. Watch closely as God's strategy is unveiled in the life of Saul in verses 10 through 12. The text reveals that there was a disciple of Jesus in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord told him in a vision to arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas about a man called Saul of Tarsus who will be there praying. Don't you just love how the Lord gives specifics in his prophecy? 
none of this hocus pocus. You know, you know, people walk into an auditorium, a big room, or walk up to a TV camera, and hundreds, maybe thousands of people are watching, and they point the finger, and they say, somebody in here has a headache. I'll try this one on. Somebody in here is going through something in your family. You going through something. Somebody is going, you having some challenges at the house. Somebody here, somebody need a financial blessing. Auditorium full of it. Somebody need a financial blessing. But you you see see what God did. God deals in specific. Notice he said, go, go, Ananias has seen a vision, that's specific. Go to Straight Street and inquire in the house of Judas about a man called Saul who will be there. Why? He said he's going to be there praying. That's specific. Now notice, the same Saul who was praying, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, on the church, is now praying, P-R-A-Y-I-N-G, to the Christ of the church. (laughs) Ain't God all right? God has a way of turning things around. But nevertheless, Saul is praying. Now, God told Ananias that Saul has seen you in a vision, coming to him and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. What God is saying to Ananias is that he read it. He's ready. Listen, the man is blind. He's looking for you. He is ready. You don't have to worry about it. Listen, when God worked that thing out for you to share with somebody, they ready. Right? They, they ready. He said he is ready. He, I mean, he ain't trying to be blind another day. He is, right? He is ready. Is there anybody here? God has gotten you ready. I mean, you out there showing out, trying to work it your way, do it your way. God strategizes that thing, sets it up so that when the opportunity comes, you be glad to do what God tells you to do. You be ready. And those, those were pretty clear instructions, wouldn't you say? I mean, when you read that, I mean, he said uh, uh, um, he's seen you the vision. He's seen you putting your hands on him. That he might receive his sight. That's pretty clear instruction. It doesn't take rocket science to, to figure that out. I mean, you don't need a theological degree to, to get that. That's pretty simple. Those were plain, simple, basic, clear instructions from God to Ananias, right? You would think that after hearing such clear cut instruction from God, Ananias would have taken the ball and run with it. I mean, it's like, okay. You go to the huddle, right? The quarterback called the play, all right? Now, you know what to do. You know your quarterback. You know it's the qu- It ain't the opposing team defense cap- telling you what. Your quarterback, <laughs> the quarterback that you work with, the quarterback that you have confidence in, the quarterback that you watch throw numerous passes and, and, and pass the ball off numerous times, says this is the play. I'm going to give the ball to you. When we break the huddle, when the, when the snap is made, the count is done, you get the ball. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take the ball and run. 
so you would think that the running back would take the ball and run, but instead of running, he just stands there. That's where Ananias was. You, you, thought, you thought he was taking the ball and running with it, that he would just do it. Now, as I prepared this sermon, I thought about Nike and how much money they've made off that slogan, just do it. I mean, they've, they've made big money off that. But you know, they didn't originate that. That was way back in the day. I, I remember, I remember, you remember your grandparents, your parents would tell you something. They said, now just, just do it. <laughs> Y'all remember? Just do it. Ain't no question, no rebate, no rebut. You just do it. Well, that's what Jesus said, just do it. But Ananias didn't. In fact, he presented to God what he apparently thought was a good case as to why he shouldn't just do it. So in verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Now, 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 what he's saying is, God, in essence, I know you know this because you are omniscient. You know everything, but I just want to remind you, I just want to share with you, I just want to share with you from my perspective. Anybody been there? God, I know what you said. But I just wanna, I just wanna explain it to you from the human standpoint. <laughs> you know, I know Jesus, so, but, <laughs> but I just wanna tell you what, what it looked like from down here. This man got a bad reputation. I mean, and, and not just one person told. See, it's one thing if one person tells you something bad, but now after a while, two or three people coming, four or five people coming. Six or seven people, and they all telling you the same thing. You be like, okay, you know, it's something going on here. He says, many people have told me about this man, how much harm he has done for you. God, this man has an appalling, a dreadful, a terrible reputation, and not just two or three people feel like that about him. Many people feel like that. This man is bad, bad. Bad news. In fact, what he was sharing with God is uh, Saul is bad news personified. There's bad, but then there's real bad. There's bad, but there is terrible, terrible bad. He's saying he is terrible bad. And so in verse 14, and not only that, here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. What, what Saul is saying is God, not only is, not only is this joker bad, 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 but he got papers <laughs> to verify, certify, solidify his badness. This boy had power of attorney. To be bad. It's one thing to be bad on your own. It's something else to be bad and have backup. He got backup bad. He had papers on us. He got legal documents giving him power to take us down. He's done it before. This man is dangerous. 
and see Ananias is thinking how Saul went into houses and drug folks out. I mean, gender didn't mean nothing to him when he came down. He was dragging men out and dragging women out. Anybody that called old Jesus, he was dragging them out. All right, so question. This is a rhetorical question. When it comes to obeying God, what are we fearing? Well, what are you fearing when it comes to doing what God tells you to do? What, 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 what? Because what we fear can hinder our progress. So what fear of fears are there standing in the way of our obeying God? Is it the fear of what other people think? Is it the fear of being misunderstood or rejected? Is it the fear of failure? I, I don't want to. I don't want to try this because if I try it and it doesn't work out, people will label me, a I'll be a failure. Is it the fear of losing a position, a title, a certain status? I know I should stand up or I know I should sit down while other people are standing up. But is it the fear of losing my position, my title, or status if I stand for what I know is right? Or if I sit down because I know it's the right thing to do and other people are standing up and I feel the pressure? In the church, what stops us from moving forward with the mission? The mission of Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church is to know Jesus Christ and to make him known through evangelism discipleship and missions there's a whole wide world of people out there that need to know about Jesus what stops us is it the fear of litigation or legal action against us because we take a stand for Jesus and that's happening more and more and more in the churches today until some people are so fearful of being sued until they're paralyzed when it comes down to doing valid and legitimate ministry, what is it? Is it the fear of offending people? You know, you know that's that's always a, a, a challenge. But but is it a fear of offending people? If I tell them the truth, will they be offended by it? Whatever our fears are will hinder our mission effectiveness if we don't overcome them. So now, I noticed something unique in the text as I prepared this sermon. What I noticed was that Ananias was fearful. But here's the uniqueness of, of the scripture that I, that, I, that I noticed. I noticed that there was no scripture indication of God chastising or rebuking Ananias because he was afraid. I want you to go back in your, your spare time. I want you to read that text. And if you find it, I want you to share it with me because I could not find it. I found nowhere where God said, Ananias, you afraid, so I'm done with you. I'm going to find somebody else to do it. But what stood out to me was the fact that Ananias was talking to the God of all creation, the great I am that I am, and yet 
he stood on the brink of disobedience, explaining to the only wise God, explaining to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who had all power in his hands, the God who parted the Red Sea and allowed his people to come across on dry ground. He's explaining to this God why it was he was afraid to do what God was asking him to do. And yet, God did not rebuke him. Isn't that interesting in the text? Now listen, listen, listen. Had that been, well, maybe not anybody at Good Hope. But there had to be some folk listening to us on radio or, or listening to us on the internet. Some probably would have said, listen, I asked you to do what I asked you to do. You were afraid. You turned me down. So I'm done with you. But not, not God. Not God. Instead, this is what God did. He put his loving, caring, compassionate arms around Ananias and he reassured him that Ananias, you can do it and all will be well while you're doing it. I wish I had somebody. Are y'all walking? He, he said, listen, Ananias, I know you're fearful. I know you're shaking in your boots. I know you're anticipating a bad outcome, but Ananias, you can do it. I know what the statistics say. I know what the polls would say, but Ananias, you can do it. Notice God's reassurance in verse 15. Notice how God assured Ananias that, that you can do it. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Go. Listen, because now he belongs to me. You can do it. Because I made a change in his life. He said, I'll show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. Now, do you see the reassurance God provides for Ananias? First, God told him to go. Whenever God gives the command to go, it carries with it the understanding that God is going with you. He helped Ananias to get over his fear by saying, Ananias, go. But when he said go, not only did Ananias hear the command to go, but he heard that I'm going with you. How many of us have been children? Perhaps we got bullied. And we go home and we say to mama, daddy, what happened? And they say, well, I want you to go back down there. The playground and and ain't nothing going to happen to you. You be like, 
I want you to go back over that. You going back. Mama, I don't want to school no more. Yeah, you going back to school tomorrow. No, but they said they're going to get. No, you going back to school tomorrow. You shaking in your boots. And then your mother or your father or big mama said, you ain't got nothing to worry about because I am going with you. Didn't that make you feel better? So you walk down the hall with your chest out the next day. Because Big Mama. And, and, and you know, she, you don't play with her. Everybody in the neighborhood, they don't play with her. But, 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 but what Ananias heard was more than Big Mama. His Big God. That's what the text is telling. Listen, listen. Your big God is with you. It's an old adage, old cliche that don't stop telling God how big your problem is and begin to tell your problem how big your God is. God is going with you. Now let me cite several examples of, of, of this whole issue of gold. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, when God told Abram to go, he said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. He was making Abram a promise of his presence. He was saying, Abram, go. Leave Ur of Chaldees. Go to a land you've never been before, but it's going to be all right. It's going to be all good because I will be with you. He spoke to Moses from the midst of the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3, verse 10 and following, and, and said to him, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out. Moses objected. He objected in verse 11. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I mean, he's like, I can't even talk right. Who am I to go? Why don't you choose Aaron? He speaks much better than, than me. You know, he, he made all kind of objections and excuses. But notice what God said in verse 12. God said to Moses, I will certainly be with you. Do you see, you see gold? The importance of gold? Listen, listen, listen. After the death of Moses, God bid Joshua to, here's that word again, go over Jordan and take possession of the promised land. Go over to the land where all the giants are. Go over to the land where the enemies of God reside. Go over to the land. Go over to the land where ten spies came back and said, we can't do this. And poison the mind of the people, causing them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Go to the land where Joshua and Caleb said, you can do it because God told you to go. 